What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 64 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. We've got a jam-packed episode for you this week, and we're going to start off by showing you guys some of our favorite odd-time songs. In our educational section, we'll talk about playing too loud and how you can practice your dynamics at home. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Nate Lotz, who plays with artists such as Halsey and Ryan Adams. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. <laughs> Why is that so stupid? It's a freaking snap. It was perfect uh, on my end. I don't know about you. No, it was it was nice. It was nice. <laughs> it was very... Uh, if, if you guys always wonder why we laugh at the beginning, to start the podcast, we are Skyping this. So to start the podcast, we have to snap so that we have some point in the audio track to line everything up, and then there's a conversation. Well, as drummers, we are 64 episodes deep into trying to get that snap to be perfectly in time while predicting the delay that Skype will give us. Yeah, 2,500 miles away. <laughs> yes. So how are you, bud? I'm doing great. Yeah. Uh, everything's cool. I mean, it's... Uh Busy as always, but you know, no complaints. Cool, man. I did have a a, a recording revelation, not a revelation, but a happy accident. Um, I don't know if you saw my Instagram. I posted a video. I was demoing that DW kit. Yeah, and you, I, I read. I didn't even get to. I was on vacation, but I did see something that you like maybe blew out the mic or yeah. something. So what happened was I like a couple of days before I had to do an overdub session for like shakers and stuff. Okay. So I use I have a mic that's over my bass drum. It's an SM57. It's in between the toms right over the hoop and that's kind of my trash mic. I compress it and do all kinds of stuff with it. Okay. I also use that one when I just do uh overdubs. Okay. So what I do is I go to my mic pre and I just disengage the pad, which I think it's a 10 dB pad. Right? So when the pad is in, that's what I use when I'm playing drum set. When the pad is out, the level is 10 decibels louder. I was demoing the DW kit and I forgot to push the pad in for the oh. first the first uh, take, the first run through. So I was mixing the video the other day and I'm like, man, I don't know if I can post this. This is really, what did I do? It's really so crunchy. Like it doesn't sound like the drums. And I'm like, oh, that's right. I forgot to push the pad in. Nice. But I liked it. So what it was doing was it was, you know, I was kind of afraid to try. I mean, I've heard all about like you can, you can push a mic pretty really hard and, and get natural compression and distortion. But I assume you can only do that with like high end analog uh, okay. mic pre's. I don't have high end analog mic pre's. They're, they're kind of consumer grade uh, digital pre's, but it didn't have the the noisy digital noise I expected. It sounded nice. Really, kind of cool. Yeah. So I thought we could wow. actually drop in the audio of just that mic, and you can kind of hear that. This is a pristine. Yeah. <laughs> Custom DW Collector Series. This is as beautiful <laughs> as a drum set can be, can become. And, and you I trashed, trashed it, it off. <laughs> Let's listen. Yeah, so you're done with camps, man. How are you doing with that? Oh. What are you going to do with your time? Are you going to like start knitting or something? Yes. No, it's all... Okay, so first of all, this has been the most exhausting year of camps that I've ever had, and I think it's because they all went so well that I never got to flush the memory of them. I never got to just turn the emotional connection off. It. Uh, I, I never got to just teach drums. It was always this massive, in-depth emotional connection with the campers. And so that obviously left me more exhausted than normal. So uh, my 40th birthday was on Saturday, which is the day that the last camp ended. Oh, my wife right. kidnapped me and she said, hey, can we stop real quick by the uh, rental car place? Because uh, when I had, you know what happened to my car. And mm-hmm. I had, so for like a month, I had a, a rental car. She's like, yeah, we're having trouble getting the receipt for that. And I said, okay, yeah, it's fine. And we went in and then. We ended up renting a Suburban, which she had planned a while ago, oh, and she cool. had rented a house on Airbnb in Carmel, which is like our favorite town because it's just, no offense, but it's mostly older people that don't want to do anything. Yeah. So it's awesome because we don't <laughs> want to do anything. So it's like, you know, and we've been going there for 12 years now. Like we're the, 
well, we're not kids anymore, but we were the young kids where everyone's like, you should go somewhere fun. And we're like, this is fun. You guys don't want to do anything. You just want to sit and eat. <laughs> so That's you, what vacation should be. <laughs> have you asked the people to go there all the time, were they like you 20 years ago? And they just <laughs> <Yeah>. couldn't stop. <laughs> totally. Did you guys used to just like have, you know, what happened here? No, it, it was it was great. And uh, uh, so, so anyway, so I did that and got to just decompress. Uh, I really stayed off social media. Uh, just watch the dogs swim in the ocean and watching your dogs swim in the ocean is so cool. Uh, big waves. So where we stayed, uh, the beach that we stayed on right to your right. If you look to the right of the beach, you can see Pebble Beach golf course. Oh, cool. So it's just a really picturesque setting. Um, and so our dogs, I'd throw the tennis ball out. Jack would go get it. He'd turn around to start to bring it back. He'd get hit by a wave and he'd surf all the way back in. <laughs> and it was just the coolest thing ever. And that's like, that was the restart I needed. So as far as what's next, um, so I've got a drum festival coming up in Mexico City uh, in, I believe, in late November. Then I've got the Common Thread Drum Camp coming up in January in upstate New York. But right now I feel like my my brain is like a desktop with all these icons sitting on it. And I don't like a dirty desktop on my mm. computer I, at I all. That. Yeah. And I've got all these things that need to be filmed for the new MikesLessons.com, all these new courses. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just so excited to film everything so I can move these things into the recycle bin and be like, cool, let's yeah. clean it up. Because they've been sitting on my brain through the entire camp season where I'm going, don't forget, you want to record this, don't yeah. forget, you want to make a course on this. Hey, I have a question for you. You've been okay. through uh, some of the courses on MikesLessons.com. Yep. So uh, I had a few people bring up the point that they said, hey, uh, the only thing that was a little tough for me with your site and with your courses was the fact that I've been playing for 25 years and I really struggled with the beginner hand speed course or the beginner foot speed course, yeah. uh, which I could totally see. And they, and, and they weren't bummed about the course. They were excited that the course pointed out those weaknesses. They were bummed at the word beginner. Yeah, that's and a tough one, yeah. Yeah, and so I'm wondering, would it be better to rename all the courses Hand Speed 1, Hand Speed 2, Hand Speed 3, and Hand Speed 4, uh, which obviously gives me more, more room to grow? Because right now I have Beginner, Intermediate, Advanced, and Pro, and I'm not going to do like Pro Plus. Yeah, right. Uh, so, but I'm wondering if it would be better for the psyche of the student to be like, well, I'm on, I'm on Hand Speed 2, but it's not called Intermediate because yeah. I've been playing for 35 years and I'm a pro, you know? So. No, I think that's a good idea. I mean, it... it I still practice the fundamentals and the basics, so I don't. I don't think it as a beginner stuff. It's just you have to right. constantly sharpen your your basic fundamentals. So even right. just fundamentals, calling it something like that, or because you could have fundamentals yeah. one, two, three, right? Maybe, but yeah, I think just numbering is probably good. Yeah, I think because uh, that that's the one thing that's been pointed out a few times, especially by the guys that have been playing their whole lives, and they're like, "Dude, I'm really still stuck on your beginner hand speed course." And it's like, well. That's because you've been gigging your whole life and you never worked on your hand speed. So yeah. you kind of are new to this. Uh, you don't do a lot of pad work. You know, One thing that we have is I think 16th notes with accents, 90 BPM. I think everyone can do that. It's pretty easy. My wife can do it. The problem is then I make them do it left-hand lead. Yeah. Now, if you're a true beginner, both will be pretty hard for you. But if you're a, a pro, you'll do the right-hand lead at 200 BPM and the left hand lead you'll be at like 40 bpm cuz mm -hmm. you just never you just ignored it your whole life. So I think that's going to going to be something I'm going to do this week. Luckily I don't have to refilm anything. It's just renaming the courses and yeah. renaming them. So cool man. Cool. Well, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, bud. Yes, we do. Starting with some cool songs. Yes. So I don't think either one of us went So just so you guys know, we wanted to show you some of the odd time songs that we like. Obviously there's a ton of them and we can keep talking about this in length at some point i mean at some point i'd love to have a whole feature on just odd time songs especially the ones that made it into popular music because i think those always fascinate me mm -hmm. how the hell did tool get this on the radio how did dave yeah. matthews get this on the radio led zeppelin get this on the radio uh so but i wanted to just pick some stuff and and the cool thing guys is i didn't give mike any tips on this i just said Literally, it says, we each pick a favorite odd time song. That was the directions <laughs> in, in the email I sent. And what I really like is neither one of us went way out of our way to pick the craziest 15, 16 song yeah. that would trip everybody up. It was like, this is just good music. So one thing that I love about odd time songs or one of my favorite aspects to them is when the song is more important than the time signature. Yep, exactly. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, that's exactly it. 
Um, sometimes you feel like someone went way out of their way to write a song in 13 just to write a song in 13 so they could call it 13 and it's like uh, you don't that's like you know. yeah it's kind of like drum clinic music for me totally yeah. and, and that and that has its own place for sure but i i really like when i like the dave matthews story that carter tells which is dave comes in and literally just sings a song and he doesn't know what time signature it's in and then carter has to figure it out that right. means that dave yeah. wasn't trying to make it weird he was just like, well, this is what's in my head. So let's start with your song. Um, are you going with the double whammy or are you just going to go with one? Yeah, man. Okay, I'm going to just pick one because I think it was more more important to me. Okay. I'll tell you my alternative first was going to be Black Dog by Led Zeppelin. Um, mm-hmm. And that relates to my choice. My choice is St. Augustine in Hell by Sting with Vinny Cagliotto on drums. Who? And the reason I picked that song was because it was a hit record. Um, yeah. And they were very deliberate in taking these odd time songs and making them not feel like they're in odd times. And that was like such an important lesson for me. Because if you listen to like, you know, No Disrespect to Rush or some of those other bands, when they play odd times, they want it to feel and sound like odd times. Right. Sting wanted the audience to be able to just keep bobbing their head, even though they're playing at seven or nine or whatever. Or five, yeah, yeah. So I learned so much from just studying that record and that song. And there's a couple other Odd Times songs on that one where Vinny was just playing quarter notes on the ride and it just made the whole track just feel like 4-4, even though it's, it's dropping back. I literally forth. wrote a lesson for Modern Drummer. It was probably one of the last lessons I wrote for you, which was called Implied Quarter Note Pulse. Right. And it was completely based off of what I would call the Vinny thing, which is, all right, we're in five, so... My ride symbol plays a quarter note over the top of this. Every two bars will meet up on the one. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah I think it's um, – and that whole that whole record is – it's so smooth. And he's able to just throw in his – a few little things here and there. But So that track for me was hugely important on – so whenever I'm presented with an odd time song, the first thing I do is figure out how can I play over this to make it not feel like odd times. Yeah. Always. Every single time. I don't think there's been one time I've recorded an odd time track where I'm like, let me make it feel jagged. Let me make it feel weird. <laughs> Uh, man, I have a funny story about that. Like, uh, so I was talking to Ash Sohn about like, I was like, so do you have to do fusion gigs too? Cause he's total pocket guy. And he's like, yeah, I have to do a few fusion gigs uh, with this guy named Jeff Lorber who uses Dave or Vinny a lot of the times mm-hmm. when they tour or Will Kennedy. So anyways, so uh, he's like, yeah, man, I had to take a solo in seven the other night. And he's like, and I cannot, I can groove in seven all day, but I can't improvise in seven. So I felt like the biggest idiot ever knowing that they play with Vinny and Dave and I'm going to hit the crash symbol on the downbeat of one every bar, not every four (laughs) bars, every bar. So he gets off stage. He totally apologizes to the whole band. And they're like, are you kidding? That's the first time we've ever known where we were. That was the greatest solo ever. (laughs) And he's like, and he felt horrible about it. But then he was like, he realized that, wait, so you guys are just as lost as everyone else. And they're like, of course we just wait till like Vinny bobs his head really big. And we know that's the one, but during the whole solo, we're totally lost. And it was like, Oh, and there's something to be said about that. Cause it's, it, I mean, in some in some levels, it's exciting to think that you're taking your band for a ride, but I think it's also risky. I mean, I I love Vinny, and I've seen him lose bands so many times. I mean, it's yeah. it's like he he almost has like a like you have to earn your stripes to play with him. Like you have to <laughs> right. you have to you have to earn your right to be on right. the stage with me to go. His drumming crazy. is like Buddy Rich's verbal tyrants, where, right. or you know, <laughs> where he just kind of goes, "All right, I'm going to do it with my drumming," but I'm pretty much just letting you know. You gots to leave. Yeah, your yeah, time you is hang. not so good. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, let's <laughs> give the track a listen. So my pick was from an album. Uh, the artist is called Blackout and Stefan Harris. Stefan Harris is the vibe player on the track. Let me get the album real quick for you. Uh, I think it's Blackout, right? I think that, yeah, that might be it. Ur- uh, Urbanus or ur- ur- Urban? Ur- That's Urbanus? A, that, you could really mispronounce that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always ca- I've always called it Urbanus because I felt like it gave it like a a little bit of air of sophistication. It's such, a, than, such a sophisticated group. Urbanus or anus for Urbanus. Urbanus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Great. Great. 
Now I'm going to get my ass kicked by a vibe player who's just going to punch me in the jaw. So what's, what's up with this track? Okay, so uh, I absolutely, this is one of my favorite albums of all time. If you guys need an album to get you into jazz because you've always disliked jazz or you've never been a fan of the jazz thing, this is one of those great albums where you go like, wait a minute, this whole thing, I'd say 90% of it is in straight time. It's in, based in 16th. It's just, it's hip. And then because the leader is a vibe player, you're getting a very new sound for that. When when someone takes a solo or takes a chorus, you're getting a, a, a hip sound rather than maybe what you're used to, a saxophone or a trumpet. So I really love the makeup of the band. Uh, this is Terry on goalie on drums, and he is absolutely slaying on the whole thing. The drum tones... He's definitely using a lot of different stuff that you wouldn't you you can't identify it. I love stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So the the track is called Tanktified. It's in 7/8 and they also in that 7/8 in the courses have a metric modulation which is really hip. Um, so they take the eighth note triplet in 7/8, make that their new uh, eighth note just for like one bar. Oh cool. Okay. So it's it's really really quite hip. and in the second that you catch it, they're already out. And so I really like it, but it's it's not quite as I guess smooth going down as the sting track. With the sting track, you almost don't even know it's in seven eight. Right. Um, this is kind of a little bit more obvious, but it's but the music is so smooth. It's like this could be in a grocery store or an elevator, or you could be putting some deep deep thought into it uh so for any of you guys that haven't checked on terry checked out terry Angoli, please check him out uh he's really an unsung hero of this scene and he's one of the guys that got me into opening up my mind to jazz after so many years of saying jazz isn't my thing once i realized what jazz could be that it didn't have to be from the 1950s it didn't have to have these specific instruments uh then it was like wow man Uh, it just became a thing of it's really fun to hear people improvise and yeah. to know they recorded probably in the same room together. And what is on this track, Tanktified, is what happened in that moment. But it's not how it would be tomorrow. And I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy that at all a lot. So let's take a listen to it. Guys, now it's time to talk a little bit about education. And in the newest issue of Modern Drummer, what is this? The uh, November November issue. Yeah, with Will Calhoun on the front. Uh, You guys have a short article just called uh, Dealing with the Death Stare, You're Too Loud. So this (laughs) is when you play way too loud and you get the death stare from guitar player or singer guy. Or even like we talked about the other day where you had a – didn't you have a friend where – or somebody was making the booth where somebody got fired because their drums were bleeding into the vocal mic. Yeah, that was um, – gosh, what the heck was it? It was very – yeah. What yeah, heck? we were talking about the booths and – oh, it was the, the electronic pad. Yeah, or, yeah, the uh, sensory percussion pad. Yeah, that's what happened. The drummer got fired because his, his snare drum was bleeding into the vocal mic. <laughs> yeah. So, so now you're getting the death stare from the vocalist and from the front of house guy. <laughs> so – I definitely went through this a lot. I came off the road with my band where it was a badge of honor to play as loud as possible. All I did was try to break cymbals, break heads. You know, we would talk at the end of the night with the other drummers. How many sticks did you break tonight? Oh, I broke seven. (laughs) Oh, man, I broke ten. They're like, yeah, but you're playing those five A's. I'm playing three A's. It's like, okay, well, I'll play your three A's tomorrow. It was a total badge of honor to hit like a monster. I went from that... straight into the Sacramento State Latin Jazz Ensemble. Uh And so at 26, all of a sudden, they're telling me, hey, uh," and I'm thinking I am playing quietly. (laughs) They were like, that is unreal how loud you are. (laughs) And we're playing in one of those, you know, we rehearse in the musical hall hall at the university, so it's acoustically perfect, which is not perfect at all if you can't control your dynamics. Yeah, drums can get out of control. It's quite annoying, yeah. so It's more for, like, singers, probably. Yeah, it's like a darn cathedral. So I'm like, dude, I can't – you can't hit a drum softer than I'm hitting it. And then I would see one of the students that grew up in 
that didn't go out on tour after school music programs. And all of a sudden, I'm like, uh, that sounds flawless. And yeah. you're 19. Great. So I think one thing that a lot of people aren't doing anymore because of great in-ear monitors and great custom earplugs is they're not hearing the drums without headphones or without in-ears or without earplugs. They only hear it with the sound being muffled or at least bringing the volume down. Because if you have in-ear monitors, you bring the sound down by like 40 dB and then you just bring it back up until you're happy with it. But that's nowhere near as loud as the drums actually are. Yeah, right. So have you ever gotten to a point where you're – I mean, have you always been on top of your dynamics or do you hear drummers when, when you're playing gigs that are just way too loud and they just don't recognize it? It happens, um, unfortunately, too frequently. Um, okay. For me, because I came up in orchestras, it was more the badge of honor was, can you play that snare drum so quiet that the conductor has to ask for more of it? That was that was yes. more of the challenge. Like We would literally sit outside the rehearsal room and see who could buzz roll quieter than the other guy. <laughs> like That was kind of our, you know, our geeky dynamic battle but uh so on the flip side of that when i go to play loud rock music i feel like i'm really having to push beyond my comfort level um but it's also interesting because i I, i've said before i host these like open mic jams so and i purposely bring cymbals that are dark and kind of dry and controlled because we're playing in a small bar and i know i know cymbals are the first thing that's going to make people's ears bleed and that is almost to a T the, what separates the guys who sound good from the guys who sound bad is how hard they hit the freaking cymbals. The kick drum, you can smash the kick drum. I mean, I've had guys bend the beater on my bass, bass drum pedal <laughs> and it doesn't matter. The snare drum, you can go a little nuts if you hit rim shots, but cymbals, if you crash the cymbals too freaking hard, everyone in the room, yeah. you can see them grimacing. Yes. And I've had absolutely. people come up to me while, you know, while I'm sitting in the audience and someone's sitting in, and say, why did you bring those symbols? I'm like, well, trust me, those are the quietest symbols I own. First right. of all, <laughs> so, and I own a lot of them. So yeah, it's, yeah. Like, like I, I chose those knowing that people were going to come in and, and hammer fist them. So that is, for, it's for me, it's it's less about the overall volume, but the the inner volume of what you're actually playing, and right. knowing what each instrument can do. Um, you know, because the bass, like I said, the bass drum just isn't going to offend anybody unless you're playing double bass and and. Going but no, bass. I mean, people like it's actually a pleasant feeling having that thing kick you in the chest. So right. people enjoy it generally as long yeah. as it's not insane. And the snare drum, if it's cranked and you're hitting rim shots, that's going to make people wince. But so I think tuning also plays a part. Like in bars, right. I always detune the snare quite a bit further than than most people would like. But that just makes it less, you know, less abrasive. Right. I, that's one thing I get complimented on the most is that I I don't play that loud. It's not because I don't play loud. It's because I bring the right gear and I make sure not to hit the things that annoy people too hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, symbols, you're right. It, it, they also, at some point, overcrash where it almost feels like they're distorting in my ear where I'm like, oh, man, yeah. my symbols don't sound like that. Like, why are you doing that to that? My 19-inch extra dry, extra thin crash, it doesn't work once you hit it above a certain level. It actually stops working. Yeah. Um, yeah. It chokes. And, and and it's just annoying. you know. And I'm like, ah. One thing that I try to tell my students and the people that come to camp is whatever whatever effort level that you were just playing that groove with and the fill that was going into the crash, stop muscling up for the crash. Like yeah. treat the crash like the last Tom hit that you hit. And then everything will be kind of in sync. But I always see these guys go, shot, doom, gotta doom. And then they wind up and nail the crash. And I'm like, yeah. you know how scary that was? I thought something <laughs> happened upstairs. I don't know. <laughs> there was a car crash outside. What the hell was that? Yeah. Those are lethal and, weapons if they're not played with. I mean, because it's, yeah. it's metal. You're hitting metal versus hitting wood and plastic. It's. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a really, that's a huge, I think that is a major professionalism threshold. Like, can I, I you totally control agree. your symbols? <laughs> you know? And like you said with the with the uh, conductor, and I've I've said this for years to my students. Here's the deal: start off too quiet. It's always a compliment when someone asks for more of you, and it's always an insult when they ask for less of you. Yeah, yeah. That's it will. True. N- you will never feel insulted when somebody says, "Hey, man, can you play a little louder? I like it." Oh, yeah. You'll never feel bad when they say, "Is is there any way you can shut the?" front door <laughs> you're gonna feel a little insulted like and then and then you and then you put your head down for the rest of the night and you mope and you're like well if you don't want to hear me then you just don't want to hear me but this is how i do it and it's like 
It's horrible. So it's like just start lower than you think you need to because it's great when they turn around and go, dude, that is awesome. Give me some more kick. You're like, oh, I can always give you more. You yeah, know? So, exactly. I always think of like this is, this is a jazz mentality, but if I can't hear every note and every nuance of what someone else is playing, then I'm too loud. That's kind of my barometer. Like I need to be able to hear the strings of the guitar when he rubs his fingers up and down yeah. like that. That's kind of my threshold. And then if it needs to go a little bit above that at times, fine. But in general, I mean, it makes it more fun because you can actually hear everybody. If you're just playing on autopilot and just blaring through the songs and not paying attention, there's not going to be any pocket. Um, And a little bit of an anecdote, I'm not going to name any bands or anything, but I saw a band recently who everyone in the band was amazing players. They were clearly playing to tracks. There was... um, and this was kind of like a new metal band. I don't know what you would call that genre, post-emo kind of progressive okay. metal thing. They were clearly playing the tracks with some backing vocals and loops and stuff. But what made it obvious to me that they were playing the tracks was that they were not listening to each other at all. They really? were just relying on that click to keep them together. So the drummer had no command of the time. His dynamics didn't reflect any kind of emotion. So sometimes his fills would be like really soft going into a chorus or real busy lots of linear stuff that went into like major song shifts that if there was no click track there's no way on earth that they would have come out (laughs) together right so it it was like a it felt like it was just four guys playing songs rather than in their bedrooms separately yeah and so i think that's and dynamics has a bit to do with that too because he didn't have to he didn't have to control the dynamics because something was controlling the the song for him um, so I mean, I've seen that trend more and more, and it's kind of frustrating because it doesn't. It it, I mean, yeah, they sound more professional because they've got tracks and everything, but it doesn't sound like a band. It doesn't sound cohesive. And right. and I blame the drummer mostly because he's not commanding the dynamics, and he's not commanding the time, and he's then throwing in stuff that really shouldn't be there. It's not like a Vinny right. thing where you know he's he's on the ball. This is like, well, the click's there. Let me try some crazy stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. we're gonna always I'll, be okay. I'll fudge it at the end because I'll <laughs> yeah. get out on the one. There's a there's a higher pitched beep coming after three right. of the other ones, and it doesn't make yeah. for a good like. I didn't feel like bobbing my head or anything. It was just kind of right. like, yeah, cool. They sound good. Yeah. yeah, but it didn't. Yeah, hit there's me. nothing there. Well, that's the thing is I don't think enough drummers and musicians in general associate they associate dynamics with like kind of like what this article says like you're too loud you're too quiet they're, they're not associating dynamics with the emotional connection right um i can actually scare you with a loud rim shot like yep. really change your heart rate with a loud rim shot if i had a nice quiet press roll going on for 35 seconds and you were leaning forward and then i just nailed a rim shot so yep. Uh, using that as a way to get the listeners more engaged on an emotional level, not just an intellectual level, I think is extremely important. And that comes down to even tracking drums. That comes down to playing a drum solo. I mean, that's probably my biggest thing that I am actually able to keep track of now in my head that has evolved over the last three or four years of doing solos at clinics and festivals is I actually know how long it's been that I've been at a certain dynamic range. And so it's like, okay, Mm. we've been up here for a while. Let's give them a break and and let's bring that down. Uh, And so the two things that I'm always aware of right now is overall dynamics or overall volume level and then overall density of the notes. So I know like, all right, I've been playing pretty busy. Mm. Let's back it off. Give them some quarter notes on the ride, re you know, cleanse their palate, and build back up to something else. Yeah. So, which is also dynamics. To, I mean, that's in a way that right. we talked. Well, now that we yeah. now that we learned what dynamics are after yeah. a combined sixty-five <laughs> years of drumming, and I think the other the other point that is is worth emphasizing is if the dynamic is inconsistent, that also just sabotages the emotion. Mm-hmm. Like you, if yeah. you're playing strong rim shots and then every third one is is soft, I mean, Man. the groove's gone. And Isn't that like the biggest compliment that we hear of the drummers we love? Josh Freeze, Aaron Sterling, Matt Chamberlain, like, ah, it's so consistent. I never have to do anything to the snare. Every snare is exactly the same. Exactly. You know? I mean, you could look at them on a the computer and see that the spikes are almost exact same height every single time. And that yep. just makes it sound better. So Absolutely. you can be playing softly, you can play it loud. So that's that's also a dynamic thing that I think separates professionals from, from good drummers yeah. is, and I think, I think even non-musicians, I think human beings can detect inconsistency, whether it be in dynamics or in yeah. time. It's they don't like, know why it just doesn't feel right. Exactly. Exactly. They don't know why, but they can just feel like, yeah, I can't really, 
I can't commit to this because something keeps changing, even if it's subtle. So I, I think that's a, a huge uh, thing. And, and we need to talk about uh, – I had a great – Long, long talk yesterday with the uh, A&R and the head of Audio-Technica about this exact thing uh, mm-hmm. that I, I do want to move to a two-microphone setup, and I wanted to make sure that I had the best mics possible for that. And I said, I think the next step in my journey is that my my dynamics are under my control, not my mixing board's control. Yeah. And I can only do that with a two-mic setup where – if I want the toms to be louder, I'm going to have to play them louder. And yeah. if the cymbals are too loud, the cymbals aren't too loud. I'm playing them too loud. Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk to you probably next week or so once I get it there, sending me out a new microphone that just came out. It's got like the largest diaphragm uh, on any mic they've ever made, and it's cool. made for picking up a full piano, a full drum set. Nice. Um, so And it's not cheap, but my thought is, okay, but if you only had to buy one mic instead of – seven mics then it's going to be around the same so i'll let you know about that later later so yeah so we didn't uh i mean talking about actually specifically practicing dynamics um one thing that popped into mind because i I did a workshop we talked about before a recording workshop at peabody Mm -hmm. and that was one of the things they were asking me like you know what do you do to to make sure that the drummer in the studio feels comfortable and they can you know deal with the dynamics of the song and I say, I told them, make sure that in the headphones, the overheads are the loudest mics because they're, that way you're going to hear the cymbals. You're not going to get that muffled, uh, you know, muted cymbal sound and they just start yep. overplaying. So for, for drummers, it's the same thing. Put up one mic if you have it and just listen to that mic and then adjust your dynamics. That I mean, every room is going to have a different dynamic, every song, every cymbal. So you have to learn, like, well, what does this what does this song require from from the the cymbal dynamics versus the drum dynamics, and yeah. just having one mic up there and make sure the level is pretty you know dominant so you can hear it. You're going to learn. All right, every time I hit that crash, it's just jolting me in the eyeball. Yeah. So then you've got to play that crash probably softer than you've ever imagined having to play it to get the sound that you want. So that's that's one way I practice it. And like I said, it's always different. Every microphone's different. Every drum is different. Every cymbal is different. Every song is different. Every <laughs> style is different. That's what the the first run through of a track for me usually is for. Right. Like, how is my dynamics fitting? You know, what do I need to do to to get this big thin crash to speak better or whatever? Great piece of advice, man. I mean, that's just. I remember when we did the two mic setup. You texted me, you know, right away saying like, "Man, I need to work on my dynamics." Yeah. Because I forgot what it's like to hear myself where you don't get to bring the rack tom channel down. Right. It's like however hard you hit it is how hard it's going to be. Floor tom is never loud enough. (laughs) Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, uh, yeah, and then the crash nearest that microphone is insane and you have to really – Learn how to control things. So I think that's awesome, man. Well, all right, guys. Well, let's get into our featured artist. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Nate. Do you think it's pronounced lots? I'm Nate assuming lots. so. That's the way we've been saying it. Okay, good. <laughs> I haven't met him, but uh, I've been a huge fan of the artist he's currently playing for. Actually, my pick of the week probably 30 episodes ago was the artist he's playing for, which oh, is Halsey. Right. I remember yeah, that. So yeah. I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of her. I think uh, – I think we really lucked out with an artist like Lord who allowed the quirky younger females to come out and be popular. You know, I think yeah. we've had that in the past with PJ Harvey Bjork. and Bjork yeah. and um, uh, a few others, but I think Lord also made it like, oh, you're 17 and this is the biggest single we've ever had on the radio waves. <laughs> yeah. And Halsey falls into that, but she is not a copy by any means, but I think she just kind of works in that same group. I absolutely love her music and I've watched about 10 videos of Nate playing live with her and he's just, it's funny, man. When you look at him, you're like, okay, I've already pinned him down. He is the overplaying uh, yeah. Berkeley student <laughs> that's just uh, annoyingly attractive. It's like, screw <laughs> off. I, I don't even want to deal with you. And then I watched him play and I was like, uh, you're, he's way more in the Aaron Sterling realm yeah. than he is in that yeah, um, exactly. Musicians Institute student, you know, moved to LA to play gigs and yeah. to learn how to become a professional drummer. And it's like, wow, what a well-deserved success story. Not to mention all the stuff he did with Brian Adams. So uh, yeah. really got into it. Now, had you heard of him before you guys covered him? 
I mean, we'd heard the the records that he was on. Like we, okay. I mean, when he, when Ryan Adam, Adams did the Taylor Swift cover record, like everyone heard it because everyone it was in the such world a heard weird it. Weird thing to do. Yeah, but, I mean, and and Ryan is kind of known for having like tastemaker kind of aesthetic, where he wants great sounds and he wants players who play with all kinds of. You know, sometimes it might be a rock sound, sometimes it might be an indie sound. Um, yeah. So to be able to kind of be his guy is is pretty impressive. I imagine he's pretty demanding. As a as a producer songwriter, from the drums, and that's so completely different than what he's done with Halsey, which is a lot of triggers and blending samples and loops and stuff. So yeah. he's a he's a multi threat player. Um, I guess kind of in the you know Brendan Buckley and Aaron Sterling that kind of like Very do it so. all kind of you know give me a give me a gig and I'll do it kind of approach. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, I mean with the choice of gear. He's got the that kind of indie choice going with the Istanbul Agap cymbals and the right. CNC drums, uh, but I think he is, you know, he is one of those guys that if he was my student when I was when he was younger, I would have immediately said, okay, I know you can choose from all these schools in New York and all these schools, you know, in, in Berkeley and Boston, go to LA. Like he just, yeah. it's like you can make it. You have the right concept for what it takes to be a professional drummer. You have the look and the vibe, which in some instances, if you're going to be playing live on Jimmy Kimmel with a gorgeous artist like Halsey, you better have the right look and feel, you know? Um, And so it's like, he's just that perfect success story. Now that success only comes with insane amounts of work. It talks about in the article right away, how he was doing, you know, weddings, sight reading for a play, and a bar gig all in the same week, which is, and it's funny to a to a lot of professional drummers. You just nod your head and go, "Of course, that's that's what it is." That's what the do gig, you, yeah. That's the gig. It's like I'll take any gig. What's that? Forty five dollars to play shakers? I'm in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll see you at nine p.m. That's that's fine. Do I need my tux? All right, I got it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's. But I think because. We're always seeing the result now, but we never see the journey. I think a lot of younger musicians just assume that that result is where you start. They never see the journey that went into it, where maybe 20 years ago, before any kind of social media, you never saw anything, so you just did it. It was like, well, I don't know. I've got a gig, and this gig will hopefully lead itself into this next gig and next gig. And he did it that way, and it's it's absolutely incredible. Um, So if you guys want to see more of him, it's very easy. Just go to... Nate Lots L O T Z dot com, and so luckily the URL was there for him to get his own name with a dot com after it, <laughs> and uh, and you can see videos of him playing live with Halsey, live with uh, um, who else is on here with Ryan Adams, and uh, and then you can contact him through there as well. So maybe let him know you heard about him on the podcast and you checked him out. But uh, and there's tons more videos on YouTube. So he's only got a few on his website, but there's a ton on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, really cool stuff. Yeah. And uh, he kind of represents it, the modern drummer of 2016, 17. I totally agree. I totally agree. I think it's awesome. So that is Ryan Lotz. All right, it is time to get into some listener questions. So or, we have some audio um, questions, right? Maybe. Some oh, no. Review. See, dude, you even <laughs> warned me about that. You even warned me about that, that I was going to skip the product review. But we shan't because this is a legendary drum set. It is. Legendary revisited Yamaha recording custom with a little bit of controversy behind it. Really? Because uh, I think it's pretty common knowledge that Yamaha stopped using the Sakai folks to build the the high-end stuff. Right. Uh, so what they did was they took production of all drums into their China factory where they were already making all of their pianos and, and you know tons of other Yamaha products. So it kind of just made sense just to use their – I mean, they have a huge factory there that they're already doing all sure. this stuff. So, And a lot of the wood is probably similar. That's for the other instruments, guitars and, and pianos. So they took the recording custom specs, and now they're making them in China. I mean, there's there's a connotation. Chinese means not as good. I don't know that that's the case because it's still Yamaha that's controlling it. They still have Yamaha people there who are making sure they're made the right way. Um. So yeah, that's kind of I'm not going to say one's better than the other. I've played the old recording custom. Awesome. I played the new recording custom. Awesome. So Really? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I didn't do the review. Miguel Monroy did the the review and that'll be the audio that we drop in that's from his recording, but 
So what they did was they actually got Steve Gadd, who kind of made the the recording custom the kit back in the seventies yeah. in the early eighties. So they got him to like, what should we do to this kit to make sure that it's exactly what you would want? What tweaks okay. do we need to make? So that's kind of, for me, that's like the stamp of approval. If Steve Gadd says this sounds as good or much better than the recording custom kit I helped him design back in the 70s, then I'm not going to say, yeah, but it's made in China. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I I mean, to me, I I don't really care. I care about the output. Like, you know, is it great or not? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Wherever it has to be made is where it has to be made, so... So yeah, it's a nice kit. We reviewed the I don't know what is this finish called. I think it's um it's some kind of like an eggshell blue or something. Yeah. Seafoam. Is that the one that has the mahogany bass drum hoops on yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. So I told you before we started that I kind of accidentally reviewed that kit yesterday, uh, not knowing about this at all. This is early in the morning. And what it was was I was talking to the guys from Audio Technica and mm. they said, Okay, we're gonna send you this mic. This mic is now how Sweetwater records all their drums. It's two of these as their overheads. It's called, a, called an Audio Technica 5045. So they're recording all these drums without close mics, which I think is how you should record something as a product yeah. demo. Uh, so, uh, and it's Nick De- De Virgilio. Is that how you say his name? Oh, yeah. I, I, I um, don't know. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> Spock's beard. Yes. Nick D. He's a or monster drummer. Normally Spock's beard. I'm not sure if he's in name. Yeah. Um, so he's doing all the reviews. Well, the link they sent me to check out these mics happened to be him recording the new or, uh, reviewing the new recording custom. Yeah. Cool. And so I was like, Oh my gosh, those sound good. (laughs) And, uh, he went through the whole thing and I really, you know, when I was, I was a Yamaha artist for about two and a half years. Uh, and I had a maple custom absolute and a beach custom absolute, but I never had a recording custom. Mm. And it's funny because, and I think it was just because, um, I don't know if it's changed, but at the time it was the one kit that they still had on their, in their lineup that didn't have split lugs. Yeah. Right. It didn't. I think, let me see the new one. Nope. The new one has the the long lugs as well. It does. Okay. Well, that's the only reason I didn't get that legendary kit was I was like, (laughs) no, I can't have that. That's that's (laughs) killing the shell's resonance. So instead I get the one that gives the shell the most resonance so that I can put tape all over it. Yeah. What the hell? It makes no sense. So, uh, so, anyways, but yeah, I, I I watched Nick play it. Uh, like I said, it was just two overheads and a kick mic, and it sounded fantastic. I was really blown away, and it it is a slightly iconic sound. I re- as mm. soon as he started playing, I was like, I remember that drum set. That yeah. is not a Tama, you know, star. That is not a DW collector series. That's a Yamaha recording custom. And the bass it's, drum for me is it. I mean, you hear that, and you're like, that's recording custom. It's like the totally. sample bass drum sound. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. just like punching a big slap kick. of beat. <laughs> kick yeah no matter no, I, what I, you do it's just the chest yeah. punch it's just why it records so well i mean the name is it went from what was it originally the 9000 series and it became the the recording custom is that because, right yeah it was just because it became like well every studio is using these so yeah i mean they just record perfectly and the toms are always it's kind of like just you can't mess up with them you know with microphones yeah. i mean no, they, it's just, a, it's a, they just sound amazing Absolutely. So, well, cool. Well, let's give it a listen. in fact listener question time so we by the have, way uh, yeah. real quick was that miguel's first debut on the podcast or has he done audio for us before oh that might be it out of boy miguel yeah, great playing might be his first one <laughs> <laughs> sounded good all right, all right audio questions so we got three three more to get through um so a couple of these were left over and another one just came in so we're going to start with marcus kink from germany Hello, Mike and Mike. This is Marcus speaking from Munich, Germany. First of all, I'd like to say that your podcast is awesome and I really enjoy listening to it. 
on my way to work, so I'm looking forward to every Friday when the new podcast comes out, and yeah, awesome. So um, I'm playing the drums uh, for like 25 years or so, and um, I have a problem with my hand technique, not in the sense that uh, my hands uh, would not be fast enough, um, more that my stick starts slipping forward when I play fast technical stuff. I just had it today when I was tracking drums um, for the project that I do with my former guitar player from my band. And um, I was playing a fast um, paradiddle-diddle bass groove and um, I realized that this is really a problem because I could play so much better if the stick stayed where it is supposed to stay while playing. Um, I never I never figured out how to work on this and maybe you can give me some tips on that. Um, thanks a lot guys and uh, looking forward to the next episode. See ya. So I usually have the reverse problem where the sticks go out where I always okay. usually end up further back on the butt end for whatever reason depending on the style if, I'm, if it's more of a backbeat thing. I don't, sure. I've never had it sliding forward. Yeah, I, I haven't either, um, at least not on accident, but that's uh, that's definitely sounds like I'm wondering where his pressure point in his hand is. Yeah. I, I've, I've definitely had some students where the pinky and the ring finger was more of their grip. Yeah, I've seen that and, too. Yep. Right? And I was like, so maybe it could be because of that. One thing that <clears throat> I would recommend is obviously I think you've played with those grippier sticks right by promark yeah promark i've tried them all i mean i've tried pretty much everything right. just to see how it does uh, i mean for me i have the sticks i love and they aren't grippy and depending on the country that i land in my hands can be really dry and since vader doesn't use really any lacquer they are very slippery it's mm-hmm. like dry skin on a dry stick so as silly as this sounds i i usually just use some of my hair product and rub it on the stick it's like it's like sex wax for a surfboard yeah um and it just gives it some tackiness and then they stay still uh but there is an exercise and i think uh i think what i'll do is i'll film the exercise today for social media i'll I'll film it for instagram and for facebook and then i can give you a link mike but it's really you play um in two bar phrases basic groove uh between ride cymbal kick and snare and you shimmy your way all the way to the top of the stick and never stop and then you shimmy your way all the way back down and Mm. so your hand is essentially like climbing a rope and and you learn how to do just the one shimmy like one shimmy will get you an inch back up the stick and one shimmy down gets you an inch down the stick Mm. and so i think you would as this is happening in your hands you'll notice it and you can just have a quick shimmy and you get back down. But but if you're ripping fast paradiddle diddles, you're not going to have the time to do that. So I think that's – I normally do that when I reset at some point in the song, like I'm switching to the chorus and I can do that. Uh, so I think having a grippier stick would help. What yeah. about you, bud? Yeah, well, I think that's that, – thinking about what happens, I, subconsciously my, I'm always adjusting my grip. So I think yes. if, if you're just kind of going on autopilot and not ever moving your fingers between – backbeats and measures i mean it's always moving it's always adjusting just yeah. subconsciously because i'm always searching for that balance point yeah uh, so that would be the first thing to just be more conscious of it and and notice when it starts slipping and like you said just start rolling it back and the other thing is um i think jojo mayer might talk about it in his dvd about there is you do have to apply pressure to the stick you can't right. you can't just let the stick be completely loose despite what some people might say you have to hold it. So you got to find the point where you can pinch it hard enough without hurting yourself and then maybe go just a degree back from that. Yeah. My grip that's is – the gym. I, oh, go ahead. I would say that's like the um, – shoot, what's his name? Murray Spiv- Spivak. Or is it, I think it's Murray Spivak. 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 Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I've never met him. <laughs> the, the traditional Gladstone technique, which is what I, I tend to prefer to teach and use, which is a little bit of a tighter fulcrum, tighter grip. You're, you're, there's not a huge gap in your fingers. Right. I'll do that stuff as well, but as a starting point, it's a little bit tighter grip, and I think you have to kind of you have to be able to do that as well because the sticks are not going to go anywhere if you're pinching it just enough to keep it from spinning, like rotating in your hand. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the gym t- – Chapin baby bird technique is hold a baby bird in your hand and you would hold it tight enough to never drop it and you'd hold it loose enough to never hurt it. And 
there there's a balance. Um, if you, if it's too loose, the baby bird falls out and dies. Yeah. <laughs> if, exactly. if it's too tight, you kill it. So, um, and I think the stick just needs to be treated like a baby bird. I'm going to come out with the uh, Vader baby bird sticks. You just have to hold. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it was a good. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. All right, let's go on to the next question. Michael Beachy. Hi, Mike and Mike. It's Michael Beachy up here in Canada. Thanks again for this wonderful podcast and, and a really expi- inspiring example you both provide to the drumming community. My, my question is about having a pr- practical career path. Uh, in, in the industry, there's stars, A-level, first call players, second call, jobbing drummers, beer band players, etc. Uh, I'm 67 and, and I've been away from music for 30 years. Uh, and I gave up a long time ago on trying to be Elvin Jones, and, and I realize I'll, I'll probably never be an A player. But I would like to get back into being a working pro. Uh, I, I, I was playing professionally when I was younger. I, I put in regular practice time, and I play with a bunch of bands in different styles, but not making much money. And I'm really hungry to play with better musicians. So other than the obvious, like having good people skills and, and being dependable and, and uh, having good time, and being cooperative, what are the elements or signposts of our drumming or professional behavior that enable us to jump up a serious notch or two? Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Cool question. Yeah, absolutely. I think it could be a painful answer if (laughs) (laughs) first song. I think you said it before. You have to always over-deliver. I think that's number one. Like if, if it's a a BS bar gig and you know the band's kind of sloppy well that doesn't matter know the songs inside nope. and out know the tempos know know the lyrics have your drum sounding good show up you know don't drink all the free beer drink a couple right. of the free beers <laughs> you know just over deliver to the point when it's kind of like a if you take a leadership seminar and they talk about simple thing like how do you dress you should always dress one step more formal than the people that you're speaking to mm. So yeah. it's the same thing with drumming. You should be one step above the expected level of at least one step above the expected level. And yeah. that's that's everything. I think it's time, it's sound, it's knowing the repertoire, it's being there early, maybe staying afterwards to make sure you're networking with the people. Right. Um, that's one thing. Another thing is is you have to know what to compare yourself to. So who is the guy getting the gigs that you want? Go check him out. Go see what he's doing. And then figure out what you can do better than that guy yeah that's another thing that has to exist for this dream to come true is the gigs you want have to actually exist you know i've been to some towns where the bar gig was the biggest gig in town because that town just didn't have a scene yeah um uh, my town sacramento as soon as you get good enough to be playing good gigs you leave this town so so really i mean a a bar gig is is the top of the top um, but the other thing too, I think like when you said with over delivering, that comes down to if it was a sloppy bar gig, it might only be sloppy because the band just doesn't rehearse, but maybe one of the guys in the band is in a much tighter group Yeah, and he's yeah. like, man, that drummer always kills. Now you're the first call guy to replace their drummer when their drummer gets his dream gig yeah. because whoever has your dream gig. That guy is not in his dream gig or her dream gig. They're dreaming about the next gig. Right, yeah. So they, as soon as they get their opportunity, they're out. And then you can be the guy to replace them. Uh, so, yeah, I think it just comes down to, like you said, constantly over-delivering. And then I think you brought up a really good point, which is find out who has the gigs you want. Go watch that person and even network with them. Let them know, hey, if you ever move on to something else, yeah, I love this gig. Uh, I, I You'll never have to leave your band in the lurch because here's my phone number, and if you ever need me to fill in for you, I'm happy to do so. Yeah, that's true. And then for me, the, it's always been as soon as you get an opportunity, you have to seize on it. Oh, like, yeah. Like if, if I've had uh, you know, people recommending me for last-minute filling gigs for pretty high-pressure gigs where even the artist was nervous about bringing me in. Never met, never played. We had like two days. Here's the show. It's an hour. It's all sequenced, and you got to learn the whole thing. There's you know a whole program. So my goal was I'm going to make it feel so comfortable like I was in the band for five years. So all day I'm listening to it all day long. I'm rehearsing. I'm charting everything out. I'm setting up the kit that I'm going to use and actually practicing the show because I, for me that's like – that opportunity if i if i even messed up once if i missed one ending that's what they're going to remember 
Absolutely. They're not going to remember how everything else was great and flawless. No. And at the end of one show in particular, the best compliment was that the singer comes, I didn't even have to think about you. It was just there. Like, well, then that's, I did my job. I did my job. Yeah. yeah. I totally agree. I mean, that's the people that you're playing for, Michael, have egos as well. So your guitar player wants to sound like a better guitar player. Your singer wants to sound like a better singer. And the better that you do your job, then they can do that. Then they want to hire you more because they sound better on their instrument when they play with you. So, right. Um, all right. Let's get to our last question. This right. is from Nick Murray. Hey, Mike and Mike. This is Nick Murray from Poughkeepsie again, writing you with a question about musical careers and college opportunities for high school students. I have a high school student right now who is interested in pursuing a career in music, but does not want to get into performance or go to a a conservatory or anything. He's more interested in recording, music engineering, and uh, the music business side of things. So I guess my question for you guys is, what are some outlets and career paths that you could foresee for this kind of situation? And, uh, you know, if you have any recommendations for specific colleges or, you know, fields to look into or resources or anything like that, it'd be very helpful. And as always, thank you very much for what you do and uh, hope you guys get around to answering this question. If not, I'll still enjoy listening. All right. Thank you. Nice little disclaimer there. Like, if you can't answer it, uh, I still love you anyways. <laughs> Don't worry, Nick. We got to your question, buddy. It may take us a few episodes, but we'll always get to them. I think that was his uh, second one anyway. Yeah, Poughkeepsie's coming in strong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean... Obviously, a lot. I don't know if all of them have them, but a lot of the schools, especially I know Berkeley has a, a, an engineering degree, yeah. uh, so you can and, and music business degree as well. I think if you could go to a music school that offers a lot of different degrees, it would be great for a young student just to at least dabble and see. Okay, I'm going to go track drums today. I'm going to be the engineer tomorrow, and I'm going to take a business class on Thursday. And within two weeks, which class are you looking forward to the most? You know, you got to find your own passion when you're at that age. Uh, So I think that stuff's really important. As far as careers, uh, you've talked about it a million times on the podcast, Mike, which is you better learn how to set up your own home studio really well. Um, Because then you can be the drummer, but you can also be the producer. Um, And I think that that's, I think what Aaron Sterling is doing, uh, who's the guy that we reviewed a while ago that, produced and drummed for adele um he does all the waves plugins and stuff oh man he i can't remember we talked about him a while ago but anyways another guy that is actually known as a producer but once you get in there he's oh, like well, greg wells track, yeah greg, greg wells yeah 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 let's track drums for you too yeah uh so i think that that is our our future for drummers the well-rounded drummer that can do uh what nick lots is doing can handle all the sample pads and everything so <clears throat> Finding an environment where you can work on that rather than just working on your your drumming skills, I think would be really important. What advice do you have? Yeah, I think this is uh, not knowing the kid. It, um, right. You kind of have to know. At that age, you may think you want to be one thing and you don't really know what you really want. So I think it's important for him or her to get a chance to explore everything. And that could be PR. Maybe you're really good with people and maybe you should be a publicist in the music industry. Uh, maybe you're just really good with details and you should be an attorney, an entertainment attorney. Um, there's so many careers. You could be a journalist if, you just, if you're really good at analyzing and assessing the state of the art on a global level. Maybe a journalist. Um, it's all still in the art form of music. Like I'm a – I guess technically I'm a music journalist, but I'm a drummer. Right. I don't have. I have no desire to work for CNN or any <laughs> other journalist you know, career. So I just happen to. This is what my job is to read and write about drums and drumming and drummers. So, um, and the other thing, which is an, a, a piece of advice, I wish. I mean, I can't change my career path. I'm totally happy with what I'm doing. I wish when I was a senior and I was deciding where to go next, that they my my guidance counselor would have said what city should you then go to what city is going to give you the best opportunity because just going to i mean there's some great recording programs all around the country there's some great music schools all around the country do you want to be in the middle of america where there's no scene 
Or do you want to be on the coasts where there is an actual scene? So you can do apprenticeships. You can do internships. You can. That's what I just said about Nick Lotz is if he was my student, I would have said, I know that there's great schools out there everywhere. I need you to go to Musicians Institute because I need you to be in Hollywood. Right. You have the look. You have the vibe. You have the, the work ethic. So I don't want you to get stuck in the middle of somewhere, like you said, in an amazing school. But then when you're out, you're like, now well, what? there's no scene. Yeah, exactly. Now what? Where yeah. it's like at, at MI – I. I don't know, Nick, at all, but I would venture a guess that he probably didn't graduate from MI. He probably got gigging and full time became a full-time musician before he even had the chance to graduate from there. And that happens to a lot of my friends that go to MI. And it's not because MI has anything to do with it, Musicians Institute. It's because of where it's centered. It's literally in the heart of Hollywood. Yeah, and, so the, and the, the faculty there is working musicians who they're looking for guys to recommend for tours and stuff. So that right. that's a smart move to go there if that's your goal is to get into the industry as a as a performer or whatever. Right. You can you're making the right. So that's the thing. I'd like seek out a mentor in whatever area of the industry you think you want to go into. Seek out that mentor or mentors and go just hang out with them. Because like yeah. I studied music education in college, knowing full well that I did not like children. <laughs> I should have had a guidance counselor say, why are you taking music education? Why don't you do something else? Why don't you do business oh. or economics or anything? I knew, but it wasn't until my third year of college that I was actually forced to go into an elementary school classroom and teach kids. And I was just like... This is just not me. This is not yeah. my path in life. Yeah. But it was just the only only true career choice for me at that at that right. university. Because yeah. there was no music business, there was no recording technology majors. It was either performance or education. I I going back now, I would have I would have said, All right, I need to go to New York City, I need to go to Nashville, I need to go to LA and find the people who are doing what I think is impossible, but I would love to do right. and just become their student. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and their friend and, and, and find out their journey. The other thing too, is always look at the graduates who, what school is turning out the people that are doing what you wish you were doing. That's yeah. it. You know, um, that, that helps a lot because then there's at least some assemblance of a roadmap of, of how to move forward. All right, Nick, I hope that helps buddy and people please keep sending in your questions. We'll get to some paper questions or some written questions next time. Send your questions into MD info at modern How to do perfect. Sweet. <laughs> Got that thing memorized. <laughs> All right. It is time to move into the goofy stuff, which is our pick of the week. This is a chance for Mike and I to alert you to some sort of a product or a video or some audio that we would love for you to check out because it's impacting us personally. What is your pick of the week this time, sir? Mine is just any brand uh, 2B drumstick. I think everyone what? needs to have a pair of 2B <laughs> drumsticks in their stick bag. <laughs> That's it. Next. <laughs> Brought to you by what.com. Huh? And why do you think this? Okay, so I've always carried multiple sizes of sticks. Like I, I've said it before, I don't really care what I'm I'm playing. I'll play a 5A, I'll, as long as it's not like pencil thin and I feel like my hands are folding over on themselves. Uh, so, but there's also the other reason is for the sounds, the options. So I think while, while it's important to have a stick that you feel you can play well with, I think it's also important to have extreme sticks that get you completely different sounds and put you in a completely different headspace and give you a completely different feel. Okay. So I was recording a track over the weekend that required like a big Chris McHugh kind of fat back groove. And I was using five A's. And it mm. just, I just felt like I had nothing, no power, no oomph. Yeah. So I said, that I tried flipping the sticks around butt in. That was okay, but I had to do some rolls. So that wasn't really giving me what I wanted. So I just grabbed some big old 2Bs. Instantly, it put me in the Chris McHugh headspace because you can't, you know, you can't play a lot of fancy stuff with those sticks. I mean, right. you, you yeah. could, but you end up overworking. So it was just, it made me play much more simple and made my fills just be completely deliberate like very few roughs and drags and stuff and it just sounded better big sticks get more out of the drums more out of the cymbals but less so if you can handle it i wouldn't use them on a three-hour gig because i would be exhausted but they'd be nice to have in the bag just in case that moment arises yeah one song where you just need that just a big fat pocket two b's just get me there psychologically and physically into that headspace immediately so nice 
that are going to get some 7As, some 5As, some 5Bs, 2Bs, and just mess around with your basic grooves, and I guarantee it's going to make you sound and play differently. You know what? How about next week, or at least in the next couple weeks, let's break down uh, the history of the numbers and the letters, because I don't think people understand that those aren't arbitrary or it was just some company that was bored. There's an actual meaning behind the number and the letter, and it's... It's uh, relegated to the the genre and, and to whether you're doing symphonic stuff. So uh, we can break down stick sizes. Well, cool. cool. Very cool pick of the week. And it sounds like you're open to them buying any brand. And that is good. Hey, is that a Vader box behind you? Where? With the stripes. Are, is that a brick of sticks? It is. That's your uh, your contest winners. <laughs> I know that box, man. I know that box. By the way, sorry, <laughs> I haven't emailed you yet. I will do that today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want a contest? We might get it to you. We might not. Next week, just... next week we will do another round of word of the week, though. And then, then we'll owe two, two <laughs> people. All right, you will get your stuff. Okay, so my pick of the week this time is something that has impacted me personally this week, which is my very first thermos style bottle. Uh, I've never owned a thermos. I drink about four gallons of green tea a day, and it's by a company called Hydro Flask. If you are a mountain climber, or if you visit REI Sporting Goods a lot, you already know about this. But if you don't know about it, please check it out. Uh, so hot, this was the test. I went into Starbucks and said, hey, can I get a hot green tea? 8 a.m. is when I did that. This is like four days ago. I couldn't drink the tea until about 9 p.m. Oh, wow. <laughs> I had the top off, too. I, could, it, I couldn't get it to cool down. And I was like, so the, the tea that I got, I love so much. I'm like, I don't want to pour any of it out and let it. So I just wanted to see how long it would go. Now, on their website, it says that things stay hot for six hours. Uh, mine went about 12 hours. So, wow. um, yeah. So if you experience uh, <laughs> anything over four hours, call your doctor. That's what this, <laughs> this bottle does. <laughs> um, so and here's the cool thing. Cold, 24 hours. So it will keep ice cubes as ice cubes for up to 24 hours. But just like any good insulated double-walled thermos, whatever is inside does not affect the outside. So you can have, honestly, boiling water inside of it, and you can still grab it, and it won't – it's not even warm. Um, So, yeah, it's called a Hydro Flask. You can get them in tons of different colors. You can customize them on their website, or you can just buy one from REI. They're going to cost you about 30 bucks, but as soon as I got it, I was just like – Okay, it's it's. I'm getting into colder months. I want to have hot tea with me all the time or hot soup. And I know this sounds like a stupid thing, but trust me, when you have a great, great bottle like this, you'll actually use it quite a bit. You'll probably drink more water or, in my case, a lot more tea. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty awesome thing. So Hydro Flask. Uh, I have the 24-fluid-ounce bottle with, with a standard mouth opening. Because I have a standard mouth. That's what <laughs> they have so determined. Standard. <laughs> they have determined. They were like, Mike, you have a standard mouth. So, all right, buddy. Uh, well, episode 64 in the books. That's it. You know, we've been stagnant with reviews on iTunes. So I think you have to do your, your little boilerplate push for, right. for reviews ready? here. <laughs> okay, let me get ready. Guys, we'd really appreciate a four-star or higher review. It helps other drummers like yourself find the podcast. So if you can, please stop by iTunes or wherever you download this podcast and give us a nice five-star review and write something great about the podcast. Shut up. I love it. I think we... Important. I think we got all those reviews in the first place. I know. It's been like two weeks without any. Come on, folks. Come on, man. <laughs> this thing can't stay free forever. Pretty soon it's going to be brought to you by... Some insurance company. Uh, but we do appreciate all the reviews, and Mike and I actually do read them. So thank you very much. And we've actually gotten some great critique on there that has shaped this podcast. So if there's something you want more of or something you want me- less of, uh, you know, Mike and I have really tried to stifle the sniffles from me and the gum smacks from him yeah. because of your positive reviews. So, <laughs> all right, buddy, I'll talk to you next week. All right, see you. Later, bud. <laughs> <laughs>